But have you ever noticed how much the idea of New Year's resolutions has to do with quitting? It's all about quitting. This year I'm going to quit smoking. Well, not me personally, but you know what I'm saying. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit eating so much. I'm going to quit spending. I'm going to quit gossiping. In other words, I'm just going to say no. And if you're anything like me, you realize just saying no isn't enough. Just saying no to bad behaviors or things that you don't want to do isn't enough to stop those behaviors. For as you say no to one thing, you've got to say yes to something else. You've got to fill that void. Just on the news yesterday, I was talking about the danger in Europe right now with the rise of Islam. And here's the real danger. Europe has become a secular region. It used to be very strong in faith, very strong in Christian doctrine and teaching. Churches everywhere, cathedrals, the great cathedrals of of history there in Europe. And it used to be strong in that at least moral compass that Christianity provided. Not so anymore. It has become a secular region. And in becoming a secular region, a vacuum, a spiritual vacuum has been created that now is being filled by Islam at an alarming rate. If you just say no to one thing, you've got to say yes to something else. And that's why I like Paul's advice when it comes to the new year. Philippians 3.12, Paul says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now we have seen in the book of Joshua already that that's what this book is about. It's about faith which is taking possession of the promises of God. It is a forward moving thing. It is a crossing the Jordan, getting onto the other side and taking hold of the land, the promises. It's the conquest. That's what our faith is about, going forward. And I want to encourage you this morning as we talk about some other things. That life in Jesus Christ is a forward-moving proposition. It's not looking back. It's not the things of the past that tend to drag us down. It's saying no to that and yes to Jesus. I want forward motion. I want success in the area of faith. I want to prosper in the things of God. And success and prosperity are two words talked a lot, bandied about quite a bit at this time of year. Will 2007 be the successful year? Will we have prosperity in this coming year? Success and prosperity. Two words that that we tend to want to avoid as Christians because we think, oh, is that godly? Can we talk about success? Can we talk about prosperity without, you know, being kind of a word faith, prosperity, gospel people? Can we look at the things of God and think of them in terms of success? Well, the Lord would say so. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 6. Now, I know we've studied all the way through chapter 4, but we're going back to chapter 1 just for this morning to consider a specific word and a thought with that. Joshua chapter 1 verse 6 says the following. Be strong and courageous. This is the Lord speaking to Joshua. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book, verse 8, of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Fathers, we study the scriptures this morning. That's what we desire. To understand your will and your means of prosperity and success. 
To be, Lord, prosperous in the things related to Jesus and the Spirit. To be successful in the life of faith. Oh, Lord, we desire these things. And as we, as, as children, sit on the crest of this new year, Father, may our eyes be lifted above the things of man, above what's coming in the world and in the days to come. May our eyes be lifted to our Redeemer. As Jesus, you said, lift your eyes, lift your head, for your redemption draws near. And so we watch, we wait, we look for you to come. Lord, this would be the best year ever if you came this year. This is my prayer. But as long as we have time, Father, as long as you tarry and wait for your return, we ask that you will ground us in the things of Scripture, enliven us and empower us by your Holy Spirit, that we may be successful in your eyes, that when you come, you will be able to look at us, your sons, your daughters, and say, Well done, my faithful servants. Father, those are words I long to hear. Would you this morning read life into our hearts by your word and teach us now Holy Spirit and guide us through these things we pray in Jesus name Amen well I've been called a lot of things in my life I was recently called a lawbreaker that was a fun one I went home Christmas Eve after our Christmas Eve service and feeling all warm and fuzzy inside and the lights in our house were all up and the Christmas tree was twinkling and the presents under the tree and the kids were excited and we, we had dinner together just had a great time and, and about bedtime I, I checked my email which is sometimes a mistake when you don't want to be thinking about uh, work related things I checked my email and there was a, an email there that basically accused me of being a lawbreaker and as the email said Pastor, you're leading a whole flock of people, yet you yourself are a lawbreaker and there is no space for you in the kingdom of heaven. And I read that and I went, well, Merry Christmas to you too! <laughs> and it was all about, unfortunately, mistakenly, and I, and I rarely respond to emails like that, usually I just delete it, but this time I responded because it was all about the Sabbath. And the person that wrote this email was, was getting on to the whole issue that the fact, the fact that the Bridge Christian Fellowship meets and worships on Sunday, not on the Sabbath. Therefore, we, you with me, are lawbreakers. And I directed this person to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, that says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Then I said, if I am a lawbreaker, then I'm in good company because it was Jesus who continually broke the Sabbath by healing by doing the things that upset the religious people of his day, the law, the law, it's a serious thing. And there's a basic misunderstanding of the words of the law, even among Christians today. Gang, listen, we have two very simple options for success related to the law. We have two options for salvation. Well, let me be just very clear about these. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And by the way, this is a little bonus to what we're studying about this morning. I'm not going to charge you for this one. I won't charge you for the next one either. Romans chapter 3. Turn over there just for a moment. Two things that you can do related to the law. Two ways that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved eternally. Number one, keep the law flawlessly. If you can keep the law without any sense of it, not a single sin in your life, you will be saved. Paul's very clear about that. The law is perfect. 
Psalm 19 tells us the law of the Lord is perfect. And therefore, if you can keep the law perfectly, flawlessly, you will be saved. And that's one option. You can choose that one. However, Paul says in Romans 3.19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. In other words, everybody's going to shut up. You can say all you want. I'm a good person. Well, I've done these good things. Well, I've done this. But every mouth is going to be closed because the law will judge. If you choose to live under the law, and you can do that, all the world will become accountable to God. And then Paul says, because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So you can choose the law to live by the law. Die by the law. Be judged by the law. But I want to tell you clearly, and I hope you don't miss this. If you choose to live by the law, you will be condemned. Because no person will be justified, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Praise the Lord, the law is not the only choice. You can live by the law, that's your choice if you choose to do so, but you've got to keep it flawlessly, and most of us by this time in our lives have already blown it. I'm going to venture to guess all of us by this time in our lives have already blown it. But there's another option. Take possession of grace through faith. Paul goes on in verse 21 and says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Take possession of grace and you can know that you're saved. Am I a lawbreaker? Absolutely. I'm a sinner. I have done plenty in my life to merit the gates of hell being wide open for me. And yet, and yet Jesus went to the cross. He died there for me. His blood was shed for me. And I have His grace. And that will be my claim when He comes again. Coverage by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now go back to Joshua chapter 1 because some might argue that God told Joshua success and prosperity come through keeping the law. If you want success, if you want prosperity, keep the law, Joshua. But that's not what he said. Look at it again. Verse 8. Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. It's a new year for Israel. But it's a great time for us to be studying Joshua because Israel is now coming into an absolutely new phase of their lives. A new year. They're going into a new land for a new life with a new leader. Everything is bright and new. All kinds of promise lay waiting for Israel. But the key to their success is right there in verse 8. And the key to their success is this. And if you're interested, by the way, in this year, in godly success and prosperity, here's the deal. Keep the word in your mouth. Keep the word in your mouth. The Lord doesn't say, keep it in your hand. Well, of us, that's where we carry our Bibles. We carry them around in our hands. Or, or tuck it in your back pocket. Some might keep a mini New Testament back there, you know, just for witnessing opportunities. It's always there. He doesn't say, keep the word on display in a nice stand in your home. Or in the bathroom magazine rack for occasional reading. That's not what he says. He says, keep it in your mouth. Joshua, 
You will have success. You will successfully take possession of my promises. You will have prosperity if this book does not depart from your mouth. How do I keep the book in my mouth? And the key is one word, and Les already touched on it this morning. I love how the Spirit does this. The Holy Spirit. Les had no idea what I was going to talk about. In fact, whoever shares a communion every Sunday, they never know what's going to be talked about Sunday morning. And I just sit back there waiting to hear what God's going to put on someone else's heart to see how it lines up with what I know I'm going to be talking about. And Les shared a word, proclamation. (laughs) What a coincidence. Proclamation. That the word be in your mouth. That is exactly where God wants to take us this morning. He wants us to understand, and there is a word for this, and the word is meditation. Meditation. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Are you talking about Bible study? Yes and no. It's more than just opening up the word and studying it for head knowledge. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.19, We have the prophetic word more sure, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Paul, I believe, in Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word, the word. Peter says we have it, it's sure. And Paul says it's able to judge and to divide and, and to give discernment. And Jesus said in John 6.63, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Unlike any book ever written, ever penned by man, the Bible is life. The Word of God is spirit. And has the power to affect change and to work in us like nothing else can. We have in our hands pages written in ink but empowered by the Holy Spirit of the living God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for considering us to give us your word. So keep it in your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And by the way, the Bible is full of meditators. Which are different than commentators or potators. Meditators throughout the word. Let me give you a few of these to consider. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, there are examples of those who will meditate on the word. And the first one which is also the first mention of the word meditation in the Bible, is back in the book of Genesis. Flip back there, Genesis 24. Genesis 24 and verse 63. The first meditator of the Bible is a man by the name of Isaac. Verse 63 tells us that Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. I like what the King James says there. It says she lit off the camel, which indicates maybe she was the first smoker in the Bible. (laughs) Sorry. Verse 65, she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He's my master. And then she took her veil and covered herself. In other words, she's getting ready to get married. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And verse 67 says, Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. 
Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What's going on here? Isaac, out in the field. Now he knows the servant has been sent to find him a wife from his people. Abraham sent the servant out there. And there's a whole beautiful picture of this, which we studied back when we looked at Genesis. About the servant being sent by the father to get a wife for the son. Bible students, do you know where I'm going with this? The servant, the picture here, Eliezer, we believe was the servant's name, the servant of Abraham. And this servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit sent by the Father to get a wife for the Son who is Jesus. It's an amazing picture. And I'll leave that to you to consider, maybe to look back over and to study. But it's interesting, what was Isaac looking for while he was meditating? He was looking for his bride. He's out in the field. He's meditating. First mention of the word meditation right there. The second time we see meditation specifically talked about is again Joshua back in the book of Joshua. Joshua is the meditating warrior. Now listen, maybe you consider yourself one of those who's just too busy to take time away for things like meditation and prayer and pausing and considering what it is the Lord might be doing in your life. Maybe you're thinking, I just have too much going on. Let me ask you this question. Who in all Israel, indeed among us, had a greater level of responsibility than Joshua did? This guy was in charge of the entire company of Israel, of all the people, in charge of leading them into the land successfully. He was the one who had to come up with the strategies, the battle plans, or so a human might think. He was the one who had to make sure they were taken care of. But God tells Joshua, your success is in meditation on my word. You want to be a successful leader, Joshua? Meditate. Set aside that time. There you will find success and prosperity. And by the way, the Bible does not define success and prosperity the way the world does. The Bible defines it completely differently. In fact, that last phrase in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 1, that says you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success That phrase, you will have success, can also be translated, then you will act wisely. Then you will act wisely. The Bible indicates that success is in wisdom, is in godly thinking. There's your success. The world says plan. The Lord says pray. The world says work. The Lord says worship. The world says manage. And God just says meditate. Meditate. Now you might say, well, I'm not looking for a spouse like Isaac, and I'm certainly not looking to lead an army like Joshua. I just need help raising my kids. Well, there's another meditator further over in the New Testament, Mary. Mary, you could call the meditating mom. Talk about stress. She's just been told that she is going to raise God. (laughs) Now those of you who have been parents or who are parents, think about that. I consider all the time, how are we doing raising our kids? Cheryl and I talk about it all the time, pray about it, look at our children. How are we doing? Are we doing the right thing? You're always questioning and wondering, how did Mary feel? And what does she think as she watched Jesus grow up? We have two verses that indicate something precious about Mary. Luke chapter 2 verse 19 and verse 51 says the same thing, that Mary treasured all these things. As a young child, as a newborn, and and the three wise men, well, it's not three, we don't know how many it was, but the wise men come to visit the child, and it tells us Mary sees this. She sees the shepherd. She she sees what's going on, and she's, she's amazed. And so she treasures all these things and ponders them in her heart. Later, when Jesus is 12 in the temple, and they go back to find him, and he's sitting there confounding and amazing the scribes and the priests in the temple. Mary sees this, and she thinks, 
what is going on with this kid? She treasures these things in her heart. She ponders them. Mary's meditating on, thinking about these things. Maybe you just are a person that you want to know what the Lord's doing. You want to have some sense of understanding how to serve Him best. And Paul had some great advice for our fourth meditator. A young man by the name of Timothy. Young Pastor Tim, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, take pains with these things. That phrase, take pains, is meditate on. Meditate on these things, Timothy. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. What things, Paul? Paul says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. And persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation for yourself and for those who hear you. Meditate on, focus on the Word. Be in the Word. Teach the Word, Timothy, Paul said, over and over and over. And he says, if you do this, if you will teach the Word, you're going to ensure salvation, both for yourself and for those who hear you. Talk about success. That, my friends, is the ultimate prosperity, salvation, insured and promised. I truly believe this is the key. This is the key to a successful, happy, blessed and prosperous new year. The key is meditation. Meditation. You might be thinking, what exactly does that mean? We'll get there in just a second. Let me tell you about just one last meditator in the Bible. Because it's interesting to me that the first meditator, Isaac, mentioned in Scripture, is looking for a bride. While the last meditator we see in Scripture is also looking for a spouse. It's the Apostle John. At the beginning of the book of Revelation, he's meditating on the island of Patmos, where he's been exiled. He could have been whining, he could have been complaining, he could have been whimpering, but instead he was meditating. Revelation 1.9 tells us, I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? He's in the Spirit. He's meditating. In the Spirit. And he says, I, I heard, and by the way, he was, met, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, which we know for the first century church was Sunday, so I guess John was a lawbreaker too. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. John was in the Spirit. He's meditating. You might say, well great, but where do you get the idea he was looking for a spouse? Because the culmination of the revelation is a wedding. That's where it all is headed. Revelation 19 verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The only difference this time around is now the bride is looking for the groom. With Isaac, the groom was waiting, looking for the bride. But now John is caught up. He is part of the bride, the church, looking for the coming groom. It's told in Revelation 19, verse 9, that he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. John also wrote these words, by the way, because meditating on the coming of Jesus was the story of John's life. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, he says, We know when He appears we'll be like Him, because we'll see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. 
Isaac was looking for his bride. John was looking for the groom, Jesus Christ. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Meditation is the key to ultimate success and prosperity in this coming year and in your life. Now we have examples of meditators, but unfortunately we still may lack understanding. This idea of meditation. I know what most people think. I know what I think. When I hear the word meditation, I think of someone in the lotus position. I can't even get into the lotus position. So meditation would be right out for me. It's, it's oming and humming and, and trying to get into some kind of strange, awkward, yoga-like position. And that's not meditation. Certainly it's not biblical meditation. We have in the book of Joshua, in these few little verses we've already read this morning, the key, the definition, understanding of what meditation truly is. I'm going to give you three things to jot down. Number one, biblical meditation is conversation. Biblical meditation is conversation. There are three specific Hebrew words for meditation, and the first one is conversational. It's the word Haggah. Haggah. You want to transliterate that into English? It's right. H-A-G-A-H. Haggah in the Hebrew, and it means literally mutter. Mutter or speak. When the Lord tells Joshua, you shall meditate on it day and night, he says, you shall Haggah. You shall mutter. You should be muttering the words, speaking the words. In your, that's how the word gets in your mouth. Because you're speaking it out. Haggah. In Judaism, there's a book, literally, called the Passover, Haggadah, which Haggadah literally means the telling. It's the book or the manual or the process by which a Jewish family will go through the Passover. They'll use a Haggadah. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. Those of you who study these things, let me know later. I have another service. I want to get it right, at least for them. The Haggadah, they will read through this and follow through the whole story of the Passover during the Passover Seder. That's the process they go through, and Haggadah means the telling. The telling, because Haggadah means to mutter or to speak. And again, unfortunately, many people think of meditation as emptying the mind, as not speaking, but just kind of humming or whatever to themselves. Good news for those of you with arthritis. The meditation of the Lord has nothing to do with yoga. I wanted to know that. Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, David says the following, and by the way, of all the meditators in Scripture, David is possibly the greatest. This man after God's own heart meditated constantly. You see it, it, but the Psalms are just ripe with it. And David had said in in Psalm 1-2, he says, In his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In whatever he does, he prospers. And again, the problem with oming and humming and sitting in that position is it's all about making the mind go blank. The New Age movement... And those movements of Eastern mysticism, that's what they're about. It's about sitting down and getting the mind to just completely go blank, to be a a blank slate. Now, I don't know about you, but I have no problem whatsoever losing my train of thought. I have no trouble going blank. That's easy. I don't want to go blank. It's not emptiness that I seek. It's filling. It's not a lack of awareness. It's discernment. It's understanding. It's knowing why we're here and what we're about and where we're headed. These things, I want my mind to be filled with truth. And Paul says in Colossians 1.16, sorry, 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. 
If you want the word of Christ to richly dwell within, you have to speak it out. It needs to be on your tongue, on your lips, to be muttered, to be spoken. Take a phrase, take a verse, take a passage of scripture and speak it. And the Bible indicates that's meditation. Speaking out the word, reading a passage of scripture out loud. You're driving in the car and it's speaking a verse that comes to mind out loud. For those of you who, when you get into prayer, your mind just kind of wanders off. Man, fill your prayer with scripture. Speak the words of the Lord. We already sang the song this morning, Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely or of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the King James Version says, meditate on these things. Meditate. Dwell on them. Speak them. Say them. Know them. It's not just about contemplation. Gang, meditation, in a biblical view, is conversation. Look at it this way. The Bible is not a fax machine. This is not a book through which God sat up there in heaven and wrote down several things, popped it in the machine and sent it to us. Here's the information. Here's the manual. Read it. You got it. The Bible is not even a love letter. Because even a love letter is a one-way proposition. It's the love of the sender to the sendee, to the receiver. And you read it and that's it. It's done. The Bible is interactive. The Bible is more like a cell phone. Through which the Lord speaks to you and you speak right back to the Lord. And He shares your, His word and you speak His word back. That's meditation. It's conversation. Now Lord, you just said this. And I want to get it down, so let me repeat it back to you. And all the while, God's saying, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Do you get it? Do you hear what I'm saying? Speak it back to the Lord. Meditation. Joshua, meditate on the Word day and night, 24-7. And it is a process by which His words are coming in and going right back out. Psalmist writes, Psalm 63, 5, My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. I remember when my kids were real little, I went to Disneyland for the first time. And as we were driving home, Corey's in the back seat of the car, falling asleep, singing. <laughs> It's a small world after all. Cute little guy. He would kill me now, being 16. I never sang that song. You know, but, but back then, I know he was. And he fell asleep singing those words of that little song. It's a great picture for what the Lord calls us to do, to meditate on our bed. The last words on my lips to be speaking the words of God. That's meditation. It's communication. By the way, the second Hebrew word for meditation is used throughout Psalm 119. The first word, Haggah, meaning to mutter, to speak. The second word, Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. The second Hebrew word is siyak. Siyak. It means literally to speak in communion. Hagah means to mutter. Siach means to speak in communion. And over and over in Psalm 119, that is the word that's used. Siach. Psalm 119.23 says, Even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant, Siach, meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They're my counselors. 
Psalm 119 verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. Verse 48. I shall lift up my hands to your commandments which I love and I will meditate on your statutes. May the arrogant be ashamed for they subvert me with a lie but I, I shall meditate on your precepts. How I love your law. He says in verse 97, It is my meditation all the day. Verse 99 says, I have more insight than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And verse 148 of Psalm 119 says, My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Here's the deal with the Old Testament. You can't keep the law, but you can meditate on the law. You won't keep the law perfectly, but man, you can speak the law. You can love the law. You can learn from the law. You can apply the law to your life, not as a means to save your life, but as a means to grow in the things of the Lord. You can meditate on it. That word, siach, to speak in communion. So biblical meditation is conversation. And secondly, biblical, biblical meditation is communion. It's communion. It's interaction with God the Father through His Word. But there's a third word for meditation. It's also closely tied to communion. And it's certainly connected to the mouth. It's the Hebrew word, garar. Garar. Literally it means to chew the cud. And that, my friends, is a picture of meditation. Biblical meditation. It's conversation. It's communion. It's also chewing the cud. Back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us the Lord spoke again to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and chews the cud among the animals, that you may eat. So there you go. What in the world does that have to do with meditation? And you need to understand that in the Hebrew language, this word garar, chewing the cud, is an idiom. It's used as a word picture in Jewish literature to describe or to indicate thoughtfulness or rumination or meditation. Have you ever watched a cow chewing the cud in a field? If you haven't, you need to. After church, go out there and watch the cows for a few minutes. There's almost a thoughtful expression there as they're chewing. Now I can tell you because I have seen these two cows in action There's no thinking going on But the picture remains the same Chewing the cud (laughs) Let me tell you a little bit about this Because it's kind of gross And I like to tell you gross things Cows actually have four stomachs Maybe you knew that They'll chew on hay until what's called a bolus is formed It's like a little hay ball in the mouth And then they'll swallow that down And it goes down into stomach number one Stomachs number two, three, and four. This is how they can eat some of the stuff that they eat that you and I shouldn't be eating because they have the extra work down there. But they'll chew on it and it stays in that first stomach chamber until they need a few more nutrients out of that bolus, that little hay ball. And so they'll herp it back up and chew some more. Maybe you've seen them do that. A cow standing in a field. There's no hay around. He's just standing there. All of a sudden... work. They chew on things. Now you might say, Rick, that's utterly ridiculous. Sorry. Should have steered clear of that one. (laughs) Alright, I'll stop milking these puns. If 
what's already been taken in, and that is meditation. Biblical meditation is chewing the cud. I've taken it in, I've digested it, but now I'm bringing it back up. I'm bringing it back up to the mouth to speak it out, to consider it some more. One of my favorite things is running into someone midweek and they have a question about what we studied Sunday morning or Wednesday night. Hey, you said this and I've been thinking about this all week and I go, that person's been chewing the cud. That's awesome. That's meditation. Now, understand that chewing the cud is completely different than chewing the fat. A lot of people like to chew the fat. Hey, what do you think? What's your opinion? What's your theology? I want to know what you believe. Honestly, gang, though I care about many of you a great deal, I don't really care what you believe. I want to know what the Bible has to say. And I hope that your attitude toward me is the same. You don't really care what Rick's believe, but what, what does the Bible say? What does the Word tell us? I think about the Greeks of Athens in Paul's day. We're told this about them in Acts 17.21, that all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. They chewed the fat. And it didn't have any nutrient for them whatsoever. They just chewed the fat. Hey, did you hear about this new philosophy, this latest thing? Boy, our world's good at that. Turn on any of the news stations and what do they do? Most of the time they're just chewing the fat. And it's not getting them anywhere. Most of the time they're chewing and they're arguing over the fat. That's what's going on. But the Bible, meditation, is chewing the cud. It's considering what God has put in you. What you've already taken in, now you begin to ruminate on it. To think about it. To consider it. While I appreciate different opinions on world religions, what I want and what I need is what the Lord has to say about truth. And that's what I want to chew on. So we meditate on His Word day and night. Biblical meditation is conversation, it's communion, and it's chewing the cud of the Word, which is why the Lord tells Joshua, this Word shall not depart from your mouth. Meditation, gang, is actively telling, speaking the Word that has already been put in you. You might say, well, I understand meditation a little better. But again, what's that got to do with a successful New Year? Last thing, consider this. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Whatever you take in, whatever you meditate on, what you spend your time thinking about, that, my friends, is where you're headed. As a man thinks, so he is. What do you think about when you're driving to work or to the store or dropping the kids off at school? What do you ponder when you're doing the laundry or mowing the lawn? In the morning hours or in the watches of the night, what's on your mind and in your heart? As a man thinks, so he is. And my friends, the Lord wants us to think like He does. Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. I want you to think like I do, says Jesus. I want your mind to be about the things my mind is about. God says, I want you to mutter the word. Why, Lord? Because I want you to think the way I think. And I know your minds. My children, I understand you. The Lord would say they wander off. You get lost. We are like cows in the field. Just the other day, Sean and I looked out the bedroom window and one of the Gilmore's cows was in our backyard. Wandering around back there and I was going to call Rod up and go, look, (laughs) we're going to be neighbors. You're going to have to be able to control your animals a little better than this. He was eating and eating and eating and got next to the fence and he looked across the fence. Man, the grass just looked greener (laughs) on the other side. 
And so he ate his way right under the fence and ended up wandering and lost. And that's what dumb animals do. And no offense, but the Lord looks at us and goes, that's what you do. You all wander off. You get lost. You get stuck up in the hills. i got to come after you. What fills your mind, your thoughts, your heart? Listen, the Lord says this, and flipping your Bibles to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. The Lord says all the way back in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, and I'll read this while you're flipping to Jeremiah. In Genesis 8:21, there is a reality of how we think expressed in the early pages of Scripture, and it is this. The Lord says the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. If left to our own devices, the intent of our hearts is evil. But watch this, Jeremiah chapter 17, look at verse 9. It says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give each man according to his ways, and according to the results of his deeds. Now that's bad news. The heart of man is the most deceitful thing in all the earth. It is desperately sick. And if we think about the things we want to think about, gang, that's where we end up. In sick and desperate and deceitful places. Go back to verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see prosperity when prosperity comes but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness a land of salt without inhabitant but but listen blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord he will be like a tree planted by the water have we heard that before that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious when a year of drought comes nor cease to yield fruit what is the tree planted by the water Psalm 1, 1 through 1-3 tells us it's a man of the word it's someone who is into the word who meditates on the word day and night that's the person who's like a tree planted by streams of water the contrast is obvious If we go by the heart of man, if we look inward, if we follow our own way, we will be desperately sick and deceitful. But if we will focus on the Word, if we will meditate on the Word day and night, muttering, speaking out the Word of God, we will be like the man planted by streams of waters. God wants to invade the heart of man. And so He keeps saying, Keep my words in your mouth. Keep my words in your mouth. Converse with me. Commune with me. Chew on my word. Because honestly, if I'm thinking about money, I'm going to end up miserly and dissatisfied and worse, paranoid. If if I'm thinking about sex, I'm going to end up dissatisfied, lonely, and as we've seen in our culture, ultimately twisted. If you think about power, you're going to end up powerless and empty. If you think about yourself, how you look, how you feel, you're going to end up depressed, upset, and miserable. I mean, many of you have done this. You've looked in the mirror after the holiday season. It does you no good. I'm not saying don't go back to the gym. Go ahead, take care of that. But don't let that be your focus. Meditate on the Word. So Lord, what do you want me to think about? Me, says the Lord. 
You think about me. Psalm 40 verse 7, Hebrews 10 verse 7 says the same thing. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. It's all about me, says Jesus. Joshua, it's a new year. It's a new land. It's a new opportunity. And the Lord doesn't say to Joshua, mentally picture that homeland. I want you to sit down and focus on it. He doesn't say pick up a copy of Better Homes and Cisterns, you know, as you're going to be thinking about that new house that you're going to build. The Lord says, Joshua, my word be in your mouth and on your heart. By the way, he doesn't even say, Joshua, make your battle plans because you're about to fight. He says, you meditate on my word. You pour over this book. And the indication back in Joshua chapter 1 is he already had the book of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy was already in book form by the time Joshua comes on the scene. And God says, I want that book in your mouth. Meditate on it. Let that be your focus. My friends, this is the key to good success, not just in the new year to come, but in eternity. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, we praise you for giving us your word. Lord, we are amazed at how your word interacts with your spirit, how your spirit interacts with your word, how you pour forth your speech into our hearts. And I pray, Father, you will give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and to accept and to understand and teach us, Father, biblical meditation. May we be among those, Father, who are constantly speaking out these words. Reading Scripture, saying Scripture, meditating upon it. Father, there's not a one of us who doesn't want success or prosperity in the coming year. But Lord, we just pray, we plead by Your Spirit that every ounce of success and prosperity that comes our way will be spirit-born and will lead us into a deeper and richer and more fulfilled experience of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. And it's in your precious name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.